Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode of No Such Thing as a Fish. Daniel Schreiber is not here this week. He has gone to a place that shares a name with something you might take to the beach with you. And if you listen to the rest of this episode, you'll be able to work that out. But anyway, the main thing is that Dan is not here this week. And so we needed someone to replace him. And who have we got? We have the most incredible guest. It is comedian Lucy Porter. You will absolutely love her on this week's podcast. And at the end, you're definitely going to want to check out all of her stuff. And that would include Fingers on Buzzers, which is a podcast she does all about quizzing with my good friend and the fixin' from the TV show The Chase, Jenny Ryan. Uh, Lucy has also got a brand new stand-up show called Wake Up Call. She's taking it to the Edinburgh Fringe this year and then she'll be touring the UK in 2023. If you want to go and see that, and I definitely recommend you do that, then go to lucyporter.co.uk and you can find out more about Lucy. Anyway, I'm certain you're going to really, really enjoy this podcast. We had such a good time making it. And what else is there to say apart from on with the podcast? Hello and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Andrew Hunter-Murray and I'm joined this week by James Harkin, Anna Tajinsky and special guest, it's Lucy Porter. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favourite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with Lucy. My fact is that if you were a baby born in Korea in December 2020, you could be one, two, or three years old. (laughs) (laughs) Just take your pick. Yeah, multiple choice. Just be one. I I am very keen on being able to manipulate your age, as so many people in show business are. Um, And but I had never heard of this until I was watching Ultimate Beastmaster, which is my favourite of the competitive obstacle course shows. Uh, And what everyone's got to have a favourite Ultimate Beastmaster. Ultimate Beastmaster. Is it like Takeshi's Castle? It is. It's like it's um yes, it's a big beast, and there was a Korean contestant on that, and talking about his kid, and he went, oh well, he's two in Korean age and I was like what what is Korean age and it turns out that in Korea and other parts of East Asia there is a different numbering system for age so the Korean system which is when you're born you're a year old right Hmm. the minute you come out that's your first birthday which makes sense because your first birthday is your first birthday Hmm. so uh, so then you gain another year every New Year's Day. So effectively, what that means is everybody gets a year older on the same day, okay. which I I like the idea of that because mm. I think birthdays are depressing when you wake up and you're maybe a little bit hungover, certainly a bit tired after your birthday, and you're another year older. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Korea, everybody celebrates on the same day. But then it'd be hard to get a table in TGI Fridays, wouldn't it, if everyone had a birthday on the same day? <laughs> yeah, the sole branch. Of, uh... Also, you've literally just had to buy everyone Christmas presents and then you have to buy an entire new raft of birthday presents. Oh, yeah. Well, you'd, you'd get two for one, wouldn't you? I mean, it would I be... suppose you can cheat it like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's one system where you get... A new, a new birthday a new year every new year's day there's another system which is the new year birthday 
where you are no years old when you're born you have your first birthday after a year and then you do the thing where you add a year on new year's day or of course they also use the international system where you just turn one year older on your actual birthday so that means you can have three different birthdays so confusing or ages three different ages but i used to think did anyone else used to think it was so unfair that people born in a leap year like my granny remember she was born on 29th of feb and i thought that meant she would live four times longer than the rest of us because we'd always say you know oh gamma's only 15 years old that's so interesting then i used to get so annoyed and actually she has not lived it turns out four times longer than everyone else (laughs) that is a shame that is a real shame but there was a study wasn't there of three four and five year old children um asking them about you know changing your age and birthdays and stuff and quite a large percentage of them thought that when you had a birthday that was when you got older and so if you had like three birthday parties in a week you would gain three years yeah. straight away <laughs> terrifying i know these four-year-olds idiots <laughs> they're all idiots well the because the, the queen two birthday thing I always was, when I was a kid, I was very jealous, as you would be, of mm-hmm. like, why do you get two birthdays? Because mm-hmm. my birthday's the end of January, which is a rubbish time. You so. should get to choose when your birthday is, shouldn't you? I know. Well, the reason apparently the Queen has her birthday, the two birthdays, was it was George II, who had a November birthday, and he was like, well, the weather's always miserable, so I'll move it to June or whenever it oh, is. Oh, really? Yeah. But the, she actually has loads, though, because she has the official birthday, the actual birthday, and then New Zealand, Canada, Australia. Yeah. Yeah. We've done... We mentioned once, James worked out that she's actually 79,000 years old. <laughs> <laughs> Based on her birthday. If you counted all her birthdays, she was definitely in the high hundreds, it wasn't was it? It was 669, birthdays. Yeah. I think this is what's happened to me, is that I've actually... I've aged in dog years somehow. I've oh, right. to... We all consider you royalty, so I think that might... <laughs> Yes. come across the grand old dame of uh, <laughs> i've actually had 586 birthdays but, uh, yeah. and but in in korea they even find this confusing don't they mm. to the extent that they are apparently changing it although i don't know if they they will president-elect who i think might be president by the time this podcast goes out um president yun um he says he plans to abolish it and 71 percent of koreans are in favor of abolishing it because they're confused. And also when you have things like um, the retirement age, sometimes it's... Yeah. There was a thing with COVID, wasn't there, where you were getting your injections at a certain age, mm-hmm. uh, but they didn't say whether it was your Korean age or your international age or whatever, and so people were kind of gaming the system That's a little. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I suppose as well for things like if you're you know, on the cusp of being able to drink booze or... Yeah. I remember when I was <laughs> young and I used to... I didn't like to lie because I'm very Catholic, uh, guilty. <laughs> so if I was asked for my age when I was trying to buy booze illegally I would say oh well I am in my 18th year <laughs> wow Even though does anyone ever fall for it no of course not no because, because I sounded like I was a Victorian so <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, I am in my 18th year you're either a time traveller or you're, you're in your 150th year <laughs> <laughs> well the other thing for Koreans that is difficult is that you Uh, greet people and talk to people differently depending on their age so you do actually need to know how old people are because that will affect how you talk to them so if you're saying happy birthday to someone if they're your age or younger you say sang il chuk ha hey if they're a little bit older than you you say sang il chuk ha hey you and if they're much older than you you say sang il duk ha I was so confident at the beginning and then it kind of all... Do you know that song Witch Doctor? (laughs) (laughs) It's a bit of that there, wasn't it? I 
apologise to uh, our Korean listeners, but that itself seems absolutely ripe with the potential for offence. Because how, if you're someone's yeah. older than you... Well, yeah. here, here you just get someone the very insulting card... And that's how you do it. Yes. You get a horrible card that you see in the shops. Racks and racks of these cards saying, you old bastard. <laughs> I have no idea who's buying them. I've never bought one. I always just go for one with a dog on the front or something. But they have mean cards. Yeah, they do. Well, it is, women overwhelmingly buy greetings cards, don't they? But they buy them for men to give. So apparently it's like... I'm going to make up a statistic because why not? Like, you don't care about facts, guys, right? No. Uh, but, like, 80% of greetings cards are bought by women. So yeah. it's women buying really, you know, cards for their husbands to give to people they really don't like. But not back to them, to give to other pe- other members of the family or friends or whatever. Because well, so you wouldn't go to a shop if you were buying um, something for your husband to buy for you. You wouldn't buy, dear old bastard. <laughs> I dare you to give this to me. We may have mentioned this before, that women buy almost all the candles made on the planet. 98% of candles made in the world are bought by women. And is it it true, Lucy, that women buy horrible candles (laughs) for their husbands to give people, you know, smelling of burning tyres and stuff like that? The last candle I bought smelled like Jeremy Clarkson's balls. <laughs> is, that, is it meant to, or did you just give it a sniff? And think, I, just, I know sniff, that. Yeah, I was like, I recognise that smell. Yeah. <laughs> it was like a Madeleine moment. There's a, yeah, a whole Gwyneth, anecdote there that we need not, to hear. It's, it's, like, it's God, from Gwyneth, his father. Gwyneth, Pal- thing Gwyneth Paltrow's range has really <laughs> expanded, hasn't it? They've united. It's a natural partnership, Gwyneth Paltrow and Jeremy Clarkson. Uh, anyway, South Korea. Yeah. Um, in 2017, they became the highest life expectancy in the world Um, so a girl who was going to be born let's say in 2025 or 2030 would expect to live to about 91 we think Um, men probably around 84 now the reason I saw in an article that they're living so long possibly kimchi is very good for you you know fermented foods fermented foods another thing they said hypochondria apparently only 35% of Koreans believe they're in good health and so they all go to the doctors a lot and apparently that's one reason why they live a long time but I also thought that obviously we're adding two years to their age yeah Yeah, I mean we have no idea how old these people are let's be honest they are very much you know do you remember we did a story a couple of years ago Doris Day found out that she was two years older than she thought Um, she was turning 93 and so to sort of celebrate her birthday Ohio's Office of Vital Statistics looked into her life and stuff and uncovered some cool stuff about her and one of the things they uncovered was that she wasn't born in 1924 so she thought she was born in 1922 so, so she strange. found out she was 95 in Busan as well wasn't it turned out she was Korean oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. um, you can't tell how so Doris Day couldn't have told how old she was by going in a scanner or something because I was reading about this it's so hard to tell how old people are based on their bones so there are a lot of arenas where it's tested like dental scans and the other thing is wrist bones apparently this is a way of measuring but it's not very accurate because when do you think you get your adult wrists <laughs> I thought that I had the wrist I think men now get them was... about 13 or 14 yeah. <laughs> just in time I, I genuinely thought I had the wrist now that I was born with James you're not Popeye because <laughs> <laughs> James has got quite powerful wrists you know do I well, yeah. But what I thought... So you're I mean, born with a wrist. I mean, yeah. you know, well, I know babies what, are floppy, not, but... Yeah, yeah, the hands <laughs> drop out first, and then the body comes up no, look, look, all of you. Um, basically, wrists can reach maturity, which is where mm. the bones are fused in a particular way. 
um, as young as the age of 15. But on average, it's 17.6 years that, you know, that's the average age that wrists mature. But it completely varies. And most children do have adult wrists, as it were, before they are actually adults. So that is a bad way of telling. Wait, so, so I didn't actually realise that our wrists fused differently as adults to as children. I assume they were just the same as the rest of us and gradually grew. But that's do they transform thought. into grown-up wrists? They do. <laughs> yeah, they do. They develop, do they? they develop more serious wrist watches. That's the way you can tell. <laughs> The, the old Mickey Mouse watch falls off and uh, a new like Timex or something grows in its place, yeah. yeah. No, just the, like bones fusing, like your collarbone, for example. That, That's the that, last bit of your body. It's the last bit of your body, yeah. yeah. Interesting. But yeah. then also, even if you can tell that they're probably over 15 or whatever, you can't tell anything beyond that by the wrist, can you? So everyone's either under 15 to 17 or over 15 to 17, if that's yeah. how you're aging people. And also you've had to cut off their hand. You can, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is going to make getting into nightclubs very boring. <laughs> <laughs> so. Put your hand in here. <laughs> like with fish, you can tell with their ears, right? They have little otoliths in their right. ears. Yeah. And they get an extra, you know, it's like a tree ring yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. thing. And you can count the rings. But we don't have that, is what you're saying. That's what I'm saying. Mm. Um, you know, happy birthday. Yeah. The song, because mm. mm. I, I don't know if we mentioned that it was illegal for it. It wasn't illegal for ages. It was copyrighted for ages. Yes. Sorry. Um, yeah, but people in yeah people in TV shows and films would sing. Yeah, exactly. A, Happy birthday to you. Yeah, exactly. Which is sort and, of how it gets sung anyway. So. <laughs> yeah. It was even illegal to sing it in uh, a made-up language. I like it so much. There was an episode of Star Trek where they were going to sing. Uh, happy birthday in Klingon and they checked it out and they thought no we can't do that wow, one we'll pay really? thousands of dollars to you know really? Warner Triple who had it so they replaced it with for he's a jolly good fellow in Klingon <laughs> <laughs> I read something the other day on Twitter and I think it was Jason Hazley who tweeted this but it could have been Joel uh, Morris but they basically said that when you sing happy birthday the first note you sing is the lowest note you will ever sing yes. and that's really useful to know because when you get to the end it's too high and you know if you started too high then you can't reach that last note yeah. but if you know that the first one is the lowest you can start really low ah. and, yeah. and by the time you get to the end you'll be able to sing it properly I d did anyone else genuinely think that James meant it's the lowest note you'll ever sing <laughs> in your life the only way you can reach those depths is by singing that is the note that makes people poo themselves that's scientifically proven it makes for very awkward birthday parties <laughs> Okay, it's time for fact number two, and that is Anna. My fact this week is that in 2018, a new quiz show was launched on Chinese primetime TV where all the answers were about Xi Jinping. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like an easy quiz. <laughs> now the quickfire oh. round. <laughs> Instant buzz. Yeah. Or if you're doing blockbusters, which X? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, well, he's lived a long time now. I think he's done quite a lot. So there's, there's a lot of stuff to memorise there. But yeah, it managed to last for five full episodes of Xi Jinping-based trivia. It wasn't, wasn't cancelled. It can't have been cancelled because the ratings were low. I don't think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it wasn't cancelled after the questions five. like, which um, premier from China looks nothing like Winnie the Pooh? <laughs> <laughs> it was quite similar to that. Um, some people would say it was embarrassingly brazen. But, but So this was on Hunan TV, which is China's most popular TV channel for young people. And it's called Studying Xi in the New Era. 
and it was about um, understanding his thought and memorising bits of his speeches and knowing um, interesting facts about his life and <laughs> the questions were things like and they, they all got it right so I think well you would wouldn't you <laughs> I mean you would the ones who got it wrong we now move to <laughs> sudden death <laughs> I watched a quiz over Christmas um, and it was a Harry Potter quiz mm-hmm. and it was loads of teams and they were all massive Harry Potter nerds. No one got a single question wrong in the whole so show. Yes. Like one person would get one question wrong and then that would be the end because no one else would get anything wrong. Was that hosted oh, by Helen Mirren? I don't recall. Yeah, maybe I read it was. about it. Yeah, there yeah. was a sort of Harry Potter tournament Hogwarts because you ask young people about anything they're interested in and they know everything about yeah. it. Yeah, That's yeah, the beauty yeah, yeah. of being young and having a memory, isn't That's it? Yes, exactly. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's an absolutely pointless exercise. It reminds me of when uh, Andy Osho was on Mastermind, the brilliant comedian Andy Osho, and her specialist subject was John Humphreys, who was the host at the time. Oh, <laughs> and it was brilliant. Yes. Get in his head. Is there an advantage to getting in his head? I guess so. Well, I mean, it's a very strange place to be, his head. Uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I did Mastermind when he was the host and we had to the, you know you do like the banter mm-hmm. and it was a very strange really? chat they, really? they edited out a lot of it yeah can I well, ask about the, <laughs> I mean we'll come back to that can I ask quickly about the Andy Osho thing when he phrased the questions did he ask about himself in the third person or did he say what a uh, what a colour are my pants? Do you know or what I remember actually? But, <laughs> or did he keep it professional? <laughs> what colour are John Humphreys? <laughs> anyway, so um, Xi Jinping oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. is I'm sure he's very embarrassed about this program and just can't believe they made it about him and <laughs> it feels dreadful that they've had to do it. But it does feel a bit like a propaganda thing. But they um, there's some quite interesting facts I learned about him from it. So oh, yeah. he knows the whole of Faustus off by heart because one of the questions was um, at the age of 15 President Xi was sent to become a farmer during that period he walked 15 kilometres to borrow a book what was the name of the book Faustus very strong (laughs) (laughs) wasn't it Anna I was reading this 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 Xi quiz was a follow up to another ideology based quiz which was called Marx Got It Right Mm, which had a very ambiguous take actually on Marx's legacy whether it was good or bad yeah 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 (laughs) we could have called it like Top Marx or something like that (laughs) that's a much better title (laughs) the New York Times reported that contestants have nothing to lose but their chains which is a very good Nice. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. And the winner is everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Again. (laughs) And forever. (laughs) With no points. (laughs) (laughs) Just in terms of Chinese high stakes quizzing, um, the exam to be in the civil service in Imperial China was even more gruelling than this TV game show. So you would take bedding a chamber pot, ink and brushes, and spend three days and two nights in an exam centre and if people died the the walls were so high that apparently nothing could get in so there was no possibility of cheating (laughs) Uh, and also you'd write your exam paper and then it would be transcribed by someone else so that there was no chance of somebody seeing your handwriting and recognising it and if you died you were just bundled up in a sack and tossed tossed over the wall um, is that well, right? I thanks for playing, but uh... <laughs> when you were at school, there was always a rumor, wasn't there, in your GCSEs or whatever, that if someone died in your year, then everyone would get an A. 
Do you remember that? No, Did we you don't have that. Your school? That they just told brilliant. us if someone died, they get tossed over the wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's more of an incentive, isn't it? Really, right? Yeah. That's uh, yeah. It was amazing that um, thing, wasn't it? It changed throughout the centuries because these exams they took place throughout all the different Chinese eras. But at one stage, they came up with um, an exam to do the exam. And then when you passed that exam, you would get to do the main exam. And then everyone who did that main exam then would do one final exam. <laughs> so you had to do two exams to get to the final God. exam. Uh, that the emperor themselves would apparently supervise the final exam. What, invigilate? Yeah. That, again, that's very scary, hearing the clack, clack, clack of the emperor's <laughs> feet as he walks up and down. No gum. <laughs> and apparently the, the first uh, exam that you would do, which was the regional one, it was so big and so important that all of your family and friends would kind of sit outside because they want to know how you did. And they would set up like stalls and food stalls and stuff so that they'd be able Corpses to Corpses landing on their heads. <laughs> See your body paraboloting towards them. Is that? Um, yes, it is. <laughs> On communism and quizzing, in 1975, on University Challenge, you'll probably know this, Lucy and James, um, about the Manchester University team, which was David Aronovich. I didn't know he did this, journalist now. Of course, we're a famous journalist, but he was a socialist student back then. And he entered with a team. It seemed to be some kind of accident because they entered intending to take down University Challenge from the inside for its elitism. <laughs> okay. And answered uh, sort of Trotsky, Engels, Marx until they got told off for it. question. They caved. Yeah. Well, yes, until um, Bamba Gascoigne got really pissed off. Which of the Kardashians? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no footage exists of it, sadly. They, no, they wiped the tapes. Kidding. But it, yeah, it's a legendary university challenge. And the, it's interesting that no footage exists because it's really the fallibility of memory. Because according to David Aronovich, he just said nonsense answers. He remembers it as like, oh. he answered like Yellow Brick Road or a Fluffy Hat. Um, That's what I did on University Challenge, <laughs> but not intentionally. You just got really lucky, didn't you? It was a fluffy hat. Challenge. I did, well, the, the sort of so-called celebrity one, which is much easier. Oh, and, cool. And, yeah, everyone's like, yeah, you want to do the actual University Challenge. But yeah, no, I, and I went to pieces completely. Me and Rob Rinder, Judge Rinder. Really? Just sat there looking like, oh, what are we doing? Yeah. But Lucy, was yours was a protest about the elitism of University Challenge, wasn't that it, was when you why, fell apart? Yeah. It absolutely was, yeah. Amy. One woman protest yeah, well staged through the medium of looking a bit confused. But yeah, that's... Judge, uh... Judge Rinder, he was protesting about uh, his wig, which he, he wanted a new <laughs> he wig. He wanted a wig. Yeah, he wanted yeah. to be allowed to wear a wig on it. Well, the um, no footage exists of that, but there is footage readily available of the contestant on Family Fortunes, the UK version of Family Feud, uh, who answered the same thing to every single question in the final round so i'll ask you the question yeah let's see so name a food that you would stuff turkey uh, pepper <laughs> stuff pepper i was thinking turkey was my first thought well turkey is your first thought and that was exactly what he answered oh, to okay. every single question <laughs> oh, every question yeah Hang so on, was the stuff one the first answer and then you just got stuck on turkey no was the next no. one name a country which is in both <laughs> europe and asia <laughs> imagine the... what do you get if you remove the letter n from the word turkey <laughs> <laughs> anymore um no i'm out <laughs> yeah well what they think happened was you know they have a soundproof booth and obviously something had gone wrong with the soundproof booth and he had heard the guy who went first answer the question oh. name a fuji stuff with chicken he sort of lost his mind basically oh and he came out and the first question was name something you'd take to the beach <laughs> and he said turkey <laughs> 
Maybe he did. Maybe him and that turkey had great days down Brighton Beach. Uh, uh, there's a Chinese quiz show at the moment where one of the most recent episodes, um, one of the people in there had to spell the word toad. And not only did they get it wrong, there were three judges and they couldn't decide whether or not they'd spelled it right. Well, A, there are two ways of spelling toad. There are, so. th- there are three ways there of spelling yeah. toad. <laughs> toad, well, the, toad the line, toad the car, or there's toad a to- in the hole. Toad in the hole. Yeah. yeah. This yeah. is obviously the Chinese characters dictation competition. Oh, sorry. I was so, thinking we were in China. <laughs> yeah, we're in China. And the thing is that the word toad for the animal has 46 different individual strokes. And so if you want to do it perfectly, it's actually really, really difficult. And yeah. a lot of people make mistakes. And it was a 14-year-old contestant called Yu Shuang, uh, and she missed out one little dot in the <gasps> word toad. And two of the three judges noticed, and then she got kicked out of the final. Well, so it wasn't done, it's not done verbally, is it, where you have to say a straight line and then a curvy bit and then two dots underneath. <laughs> and then it's like diagonal, <laughs> incredibly boring TV uh, show. No. So you write it down and then the cameras can see it, but her teammates are there as well and the camera sort of pans to them and they're all kind of drawing it with a finger in the sky, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Going, no, no, you yeah, need to do yeah, it this yeah. way and do it this way and do it this oh way. God. Really cool. That's a really crazy format. But yeah, spelling bee in China. Mm. Who, who knew? Yeah. yeah. I didn't Right, how far bees go back generally and they <laughs> i mean they evolved obviously from insects no not those kind of bees um bees go back over two centuries i think in america i was looking up the earliest mentions of them in the eight, late 18th century there are references to things like quilting bees that seems to be the earliest kind and bee just meant a gathering of people who were doing something that was kind of useful often for a single person so a quilting bee would be like this person needs a quilt takes months to make a quilt they're cold now if we get together (laughs) we'll get it done in one day and you'd have a quilting bee um but the thing i like best is raising bees they were for when a new settler came to town and wanted to live there and i guess it was in america where lots of new people were turning up a lot then the raising bee was when the village would get together and build them a house so oh, great. You really? could just rock up and be like, do you mind having a raising bee? Well, the, the, the barn thing, because the, the film uh, Witness yes. with Harrison Ford, where mm-hmm. he's he's a cop and he's there's a murder, an Amish murder has happened and he's in this weird community that he doesn't know anything about. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene where they raise a barn. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. It's confusing, isn't it? Because raise can mean either lift something up or burn yeah. it to the ground. Yeah. 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 <laughs> if you get the wrong memo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you missed the spelling bee last yeah. week, <laughs> you turn up a bit late, burn the new barn to the ground. Well, if you get the wrong end of the stick with spelling bee, then you could be very embarrassed because you think you've just got to spell bee, which is one of the e- <laughs> easiest words to spell. I might have a drinking bee later if anyone's interested. I think just, let's just apply bee to anything. I'm having a crying bee if anyone wants to join in. <laughs> when you were on Mastermind, Lucy, did you win Mastermind? I Well, I don't like to talk about it, but I have uh, won it twice. and I'm, I'm the current champion of champions, but I don't like to mention it. I wish you hadn't brought wow. it up. <laughs> what are your special subjects? So I did Steve Martin oh, yeah. the first time and then Victoria Wood the second time that I did it. But I thought it'd be oh. quite a nice thing to just sit and watch his movies for a couple of days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lovely. Very yeah. good. Because you are a quizzer, but you're also a quizzer. 
I would say, because the word quizzer, the first use of it was someone who tells jokes. Oh. So a quizzer used to be a comedian. In 1797, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, the word quizzer meant someone who does pranks or jokes or whatever. And then obviously the word quiz is more, more recent than that, isn't it, for like quizzing. We yeah. think it's yeah. 20th century. Yeah. Well, I, for years, the, the legendary origin story of the word quiz was mm. that there was the an Irish theatrical impresario yes. who wanted to attract attention, so wrote it on walls in Dublin, and everyone said, oh, what is quiz? And mm-hmm. a bit <laughs> complete nonsense, obviously. Yeah, that guy was called story. Richard Daly, uh, and the anecdote, the earliest I could find, was from 1835 in the Manchester Times. Uh, but he died in 1813, so it's quite close to him dying that the anecdote was was used yeah, you know yeah. quite contemporaneous or however you say that word yeah it's contemporaneous <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I noticed I was listening to an old episode and I realised that I don't know how to say that word and I think I've said it quite often and I don't know how to actually <laughs> that's say that's cool it. I'm, I'm going to um, leave it but Richard Daly's really interesting he, um, he went to Trinity College in Dublin when he was 15 and he was a really turbulent student um, he used to get into fights all the time apparently he fought 16 duels in the first two years that he was at <laughs> university oh, yes. uh, and then he left Dublin to go and live in London and we're not sure why but one of the rumours was that he killed a billiard table marker <gasps> in a duel and he had to leave and go to London billiard A billiard table, table marker. marker? That's a yeah. person What's, not a thing? Well it could be a misprint for maker but uh, all of the sources say marker so it could be someone who draws the a, lines on a billiard table All the old crafts are dying out aren't they? <laughs> Wow. But yeah, and then he went to prison um, after he was doing a show and he got in a fight with an audience member. Uh, and when he was in prison, he wrote a lurid account of an affair with one of his singers who was called Elizabeth Billington. Oh. And she was amazing. She was um, basically, of all the English singers who have ever gone to Italy, up to the current day, she had the best reputation as the best singer from England ever in Italy okay until she shagged this guy well (laughs) she was you know she was sometimes known as the Poland Street Man Trap uh, because she had affairs with the Duke of Rutland the Prince of Wales the Duke of Sussex uh, this person wait and this was the woman to trace the back who shagged the guy who apparently did but actually didn't write the word quiz about town that's why we're talking about her (laughs) (laughs) clearing things up for the listeners well I'm delighted to have heard of her I want to hear her version of Happy Birthday for a start I think she probably would have done that the Poland Street Man Trap yeah I'm going to go and hang around Poland Street now it's not far and uh, try and co-op that <laughs> the Poland Street man repellent that's, uh, <laughs> that's what I want to be okay it's time for fact number three and that is my fact my fact is that in 1804 William Wordsworth and his sister Dorothy built a hut lined with moss uh, thanks Andy just, uh, Lucy you're familiar with Andy's moss obsession that we're trying to um, tramp down right <laughs> tramp it down the moss man cometh I should say this was sent This was sent in um, uh, to me by a guy called Nick Hodder on Twitter so thank you Nick um, for the moss fact he can now send me moss content every week and it's great um, so he and um, Dorothy, his sister, they visited Scotland in the year before, 1803, and they saw this hut, a wooden hut, lined with fog, which is what they called moss at the time. So they were very taken with it, and when they got home to the Lake District, they built their own hut, uh, lined it with moss, uh, covered it with heather on the outside. 
and it was destroyed very sadly uh, this important bit no. of English literary heritage uh, <laughs> by the later owner Thomas de Quincey Oh, really? Oh, really? I know. Opium fan and fellow uh, word celeb, Thomas de Quincey. He probably uh, smoked it. it. Can you smoke moss? <laughs> yeah, that right. You're right. He probably rolled the whole thing You'd up. give it a go, wouldn't you? moss smoker. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the, anyway, so the, the good news is that in 2020, 200 years after this absolute travesty, uh, they, the, a new version has been built. Isn't it interesting that the word fog in Scotland means moss? Yes, it is weird. Yeah, it's weird, that, isn't it? Yeah. Apparently, um, it used to be a word for grass, like long grass, and then it became moss because it's like... Mm. Kent's ground and they both come from an old Scandinavian word meaning wind blown so you would kind of get fog blowing over the hills and you would also get the wind blown grass and it comes from an old Norwegian word fucker <laughs> which meant sea mist or light drizzle if you trace any etymology back far enough eventually you can find a swear word somewhere our weather forecast must have been so much fun it's going to be an absolute fucker coming in from the north. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Wordsworth and Dorothy, they were tight, weren't they? They were super oh. tight. <laughs> they were super tight. Um, the bro- brother and sister, obviously, yep. but they didn't grow up together, or they grew up, grew up in the first bit of their childhood together, and then both of their parents died very sadly, and they were separated. And um, William went to school, and Dorothy was sent elsewhere, and they reunited in adulthood, and they seem to have been full-on soulmates. And there are even things like the night before Wordsworth's wedding to Mary, who was his childhood sweetheart, who I actually think was a friend of Dorothy's. Mm. The night before his wedding... Oh, you're, not, you're not implying anything with that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, sorry, so he married Mary. He married yeah. Mary the night before his wedding. Dorothy, his sister, wore the wedding ring in bed that he was going to give to Mary. And then Mary in the King. morning, William and Dorothy did this ritual where Wordsworth sort of knelt uh, beside her and took the ring off her finger and replaced it onto her finger again so it was a sort of ceremonial marriage to her sister and mm. then went and married Mary Blimey. wowzers and she didn't go to the wedding uh, Dorothy his sister Did she you just know? no no she didn't attend um it's a, it was a, it what? Wasn't Do very... we know why? Was it a wasn't invited venue not big enough kind of thing? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you have think... to draw a line somewhere with those venues, don't you? And it's like I think she just was grieving terribly that this was happening and that this big you know emotional change was happening in her life. I mean, who knows? But mm. she she did have a diary which he read by the way. Um, another aspect of their relationship but when she heard the wedding had happened there were people coming up the driveway to inform her oh yes they're married now she wrote I could stand it no longer and threw myself on the bed neither hearing nor seeing anything wow and she lived with them for the rest of uh, their lives she outlived (laughs) William then she died then eventually Mary his uh, wife so when William died with the two women living together yeah there's a sitcom sitcom indeed isn't it that's awkward isn't it so I can have the ring back now get attention uh, Maggie Smith in that sitcom oh yeah yeah. it would be like do you remember Death Becomes Her that movie with the yes, two. with Goldie Horn kind of gradually disintegrating. Yeah, well. there's like two people who live together, but they're immortal. Yeah, and they hate each other, and they start trying to beat each other up because they're immortal. They just all their bones break, and their wrists get all floppy. Yeah. It's not, their, it's not their wrists, they're adult wrists. Well, but, um, she, on the subject of the diary and stuff, though, but they sort of had joint journals, didn't they? And they collaborated. Yeah. And I did not know that the I Wandered Lonely as a Cloud, the inspirational walk for that, was one that Dorothy and William took together mm. around Oldswater in 1802. Oh, was it? I mean, 
how annoying would it be if you're on a walk with someone, it yeah. inspires a poem, and it's called I Wandered Lonely as a Clown. It's like, well, <laughs> right. I'm Sweet. him. I was there. You know? Like That's my sister point. had stopped to tie her laces. <laughs> 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 and it was her because she wrote wrote up the daffodils encounter. Yeah, because they, yes, saw, they yes. did see a load of daffodils on the walk, and then well, she there's wrote a lot of daffodils around there all morning. And she was right; she used some very evocative language about them. They were, you know, bouncing around and flopping about, or whatever. <laughs> I can't remember. It wasn't yeah, that. It wasn't that. But you know, the the waving, uh, dancing host, and all of that. That was some of that language made its way into the poem. So okay. you know, yeah. co-writer credit. Well, I think they were co-writers of lyrical ballads. Basically, there was this amazing kind of threesome they had essentially. So it was mm. Dorothy and William and Coleridge. They all lived together in Dorset for a while, and some. Somerset and they like you said Lucy they wrote in each other's notebooks and they sort of finished each other's sentences and Dorothy <laughs> would write up this journal of how their walks and the flowers and the clouds and shit and so I think it was a collaboration lyrical ballads but Wordsworth wouldn't let anyone else have the copyright of it so I think even though it's got a bunch of Coleridge in there, it's got five or six Coleridge poems in there. Isn't Ancient yeah. Mariner? Including in, Ancient Mariner. Which is one of, you'd want it's the to own one. that, really, yeah, wouldn't yeah. you? It's the biggie. Um, but word, like Wordsworth was such a genius poet and Coleridge was all like, Wordsworth, you're the better one. You know, I, you're mm. the genius. You take wow. this. So it was... When we first met, the Coleridge said he was so excited that he leapt over a fence to get at, <laughs> at Wordsworth it's such yeah. a sweet it's like a real sort of fanboy yeah. it really is I mean and I had only recently got to know anything about Wordsworth and I had thought oh he's the daffodils and it's all very mm-hmm. prissy and and um, what a life what yeah. a life he had illegitimate children mm-hmm. revolutionary yeah. France yeah. Uh, he he was in revolutionary France fathered a child and then buggered off and couldn't get back to the child for like 10 years or something couldn't although yeah, yeah. <laughs> so sorry is the revolution still happening sorry uh, I just look so aristocratic that it's a bit of a risk yeah I can't even send any money yeah. <laughs> soz he did yeah. send money, by the way, in case yeah. his family are listening. Yeah, he did. He sent money. Um, but yeah, he didn't invite them out of revolutionary France. And they were royalists, so there was probably some tension for... Oh, interesting. The, which is very bizarre, because he was a revolutionary, at mm. least at the start, like all cool, trendy people of the day. Obviously went to France, thought these whole ideas of equality and fraternity and liberty, I love it, sounds great. Met loads of other fellow revolutionary reformists, and then got a bit put off by all the sort of mass murder that the happened. The terrorist stuff. <laughs> And I think he was very good friends with someone who I think he saw get executed. And I think that will put you off sometimes. Well, Well, it was basically his gap year. He was 22 years old when he went. Mm. And the weird thing, I mean, the thing about Wordsworth, he lived a very long, he lived 80 years at the time, 1770 to 1850. So there's a long old life. And um, I think the imagination is of him as quite an old man Mm. because he was for, you know, a while. Depends um, when you define old as starting, well, I suppose. Well, measure, measure the wrists. Um, <laughs> do you know one thing Wordsworth couldn't do? Mm. Um, ride a motorbike. <laughs> yep. Um, what couldn't he do? It's actually the daffodils. He oh. would not have been able oh, I know. to smell them. Yeah. He had no sense of smell. It's anosmic. Early COVID. Anosmic. Early COVID. <laughs> 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 
hero. <laughs> and he had no sense of taste, as I think we can tell from the prelude. That's a joke about his big long poem. Um, yeah, his nephew Christopher wrote his first ever biography in 1851, so the year after he died. And he wrote, With regard to fragrance, Mr. Wordsworth spoke from the testimony of others. He himself had no sense of smell. God, that's awful. As someone who is so infatuated with the countryside and mm. nature and all of that, how dreadful. Although daffodils don't really smell, do they? Yeah. Do they? Yeah. I don't like the smell of daffodils, actually. Yeah. Oh, they smell the a house. bit like weed, don't yes. they? Yes, yeah. I, didn't, yeah, yeah. I didn't like to say, but, but yes. But they do have a big old smell. Yeah, 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 you're right. Sorry, they smell very strongly of urine, so I've tried to blank <laughs> it out. <laughs> That's probably why he wrote that. He wrote this amazing poem about daffodils, and everyone else is like, are they not the ones that smell of weed? <laughs> <laughs> um, you say he lived to be very old, um, but a lot of people would say should have died younger. <laughs> should have copped it earlier because he got quite crap later on in life according to I suppose most literary critics and he, even he when he was asked to be poet laureate when he was 73 said look I don't think I'm good enough I haven't written anything decent for years and he never published anything as poet laureate did he um, well, yeah. but when he was asked to be poet laureate he said no at the start but then uh, Robert Peel said well the queen really wants you to be poet laureate and you don't have to do any work <laughs> <laughs> so would you like reconsider he went alright oh, fine but he was really famous at that time wasn't he yeah. and there's um, a bit where his wife was writing about when he was 77 years old she's writing a letter to someone and in the letter she says I'm looking up and a group of young tourists are standing before the window so they're just people yeah, looking in his shit. window wow. and just going oh look there he is oh, and apparently he was reading the newspaper and every time he lifted his head from the newspaper all the tourists would bow to him oh uh, amazing I think that would put you off your work that's why I newspaper right. yeah. the Sudoku under those <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But he also yeah. always wore um, shades as well when he got older. Seriously? Yeah, um, because cool. he had um, very inflamed eyes and so he wore dark glasses to stop the light from getting in. Blimey, he couldn't smell and then couldn't see anything because of his shades. Yeah. Eventually he would have been an entirely tactile-based poet. <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah. He we got could... quite reactionary as well. He did the old uh-huh. classic, and this is why better to die young. Mm. Um, he went from being cool, revolutionary uh, reformist yeah. and thinking things like uh, he was sort of part. He was um, essential to the founding of the National Trust because he really believed in land being shared by everyone. Uh-huh. Everyone should have access and should get outside and experience nature. The working classes should be, you know, should be brought up to the Lake District and shown how lovely the rivers are or whatever. Um, how come I went to um, a National Trust property the other day and it was four o'clock on a Sunday and they said sorry we're closed <laughs> yeah sorry about that they're not staying true to the spirit of Wordsworth uh, but well he went off the idea anyway in his later life because he A became very pro the death penalty wrote poems in favour of the death penalty uh, just to make sure people knew where he stood there must be so few poems in favour of the death penalty it feels like a weird crossover doesn't it yeah a death penalty fan and a poet you don't, yeah, you don't yeah, see yeah. them often in one yeah. person what was it called do you know uh, yes it was called off with their heads <laughs> new on the loose uh, <laughs> it was called sonnets upon the punishment of death wow mm. um, and he didn't like it actually it turned out when the trains got up and running yeah. and people did start getting the train up to the lake district from sort of manchester and stuff and disturbing his peace and quietude wow. turned into a miserable old goat <laughs> really <laughs> I suppose if people were standing outside your window you'd be like yeah. well I don't want more of them coming up to stand and look at yeah. me while I read the paper and fair enough <laughs> I think the death penalty for 
people who stare. Like, <laughs> staring. You drop a guillotine from your window. God, Porter's Britain is going to be a pretty intense place. You thought Pretty Patel was hardcore, I'll tell you. You looking there'll, at me? <laughs> there'll be quiz shows about me on television. That's the main thing that I'm looking for. Okay, it's time for our final fact of the show, and that is James. Okay, my fact this week is that we know of five people who have died in the Queen Vic in EastEnders, although one of them was murdered 120 years before the TV show began. <laughs> That's a prequel, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't it they were, they were stabbed to death for staring at local bar <laughs> William Wordsworth? <laughs> That's true, because Lucy has been in EastEnders, right? I have very so, recently, yeah. yes. Gosh, if what, what stared did you, at you play? Didn't get murdered in the Queen Vic. So... Uh, I had a very small part as a woman called Rita, who was the love interest of a character called Mitch. So for our overseas listeners, EastEnders is a beloved uh, soap opera. And if you get a part in EastEnders, it is absolutely mandatory for everyone you know to then talk at you in a Cockney accent. (laughs) All right, you in EastEnders, or you're not my mother. And, uh, you slag! <laughs> it's my name above the door, Frank. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but I didn't get to go inside the Queen Vic, so oh, maybe not? I was lucky, given that it's obviously Were all of such your, a um, of murder. Were all of your scenes outdoors? No, I was in the Laundrette, which is oh. another, oh, so another absolutely iconic venue. location. Yeah. But I don't know if I've been killed off, because they don't tell you... Obviously, when you go into EastEnders, they're not allowed to tell you anything about what's going on. And especially when I was in it, there was a big murder storyline which has now been resolved but they bumped up their murder count because there was a man called Grey who was murdering loads of people and so I got the script and they were like, well, you can't tell anyone what happens because not my bit was like the little comic relief right. nonsense. But uh, the, this big storyline was being revo- resolved. And in fact, when I got onto the set, I was in the laundrette and this murderer yeah. came in and it was <gasps> his last day. And I was like, oh, because he was the most hated man in Britain. And he came in and he, it was his last day. So he did this lovely speech about how wonderful it is. And I've had Aww. such a wonderful time. And it was like seeing, Aww. I don't know, Fred West or Ted Bundy. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, it's all been a month. Marvellous lark and uh, wow, you know. that's amazing. That was uh, was that in the last four or five years? Then that was in the last year. So right. because yeah, because I know EastEnders wasn't very murdery for a while. It was always Coronation Street. I think was the most murdery, and then Hollyoaks. Really, Hollyoaks took over. It was the hotbed yeah. of murder. I've got a friend who's in Hollyoaks, and um, during COVID, um, she had to do some kissing scenes. Um, but she couldn't do it because obviously you weren't allowed to go near. And so her partner had to come on and be her love interest, but you only kind of saw his shoulder the whole time. <laughs> He's a singer in a band. He's got long hair, very skinny guy. And her partner was this kind of hunky Asian bloke. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was an amazing bit of camera work to make sure. Wow. That, yeah. Yeah, what a needle to thread. <laughs> well, they've both got shoulders, haven't they? So... <laughs> Just kisses him once on the shoulder. That should be fine. Oh, well, even when I was filming, it was like you couldn't... You had to stand and shout across the laundrette at each other. But oh, that's really? fine because you shout all the time oh, in really? EastEnders anyway. Yeah. So and, it was and in laundrettes. It's, it's yeah. a noisy working environment. Yes. Yes. So, um, Did yeah. you have to do the tennis ball he- on a stick thing? 
What's we, that? In EastEnders during COVID, they had. To, I watched a sort of little documentary on all the tricks they had to do, and one of them was whenever you see anyone in a close-up scene with someone else in EastEnders during COVID, they were talking to an empty space, but they would put a little tennis ball at the top of a pole, which was where you were supposed to look to see their eyes. So if they're really? sobbing or laughing or chatting, it's always engaging with the tennis ball. So on those two-person <laughs> shots where you're seeing their face, but the other person's back of their head. Uh, the reverse. Yeah. Well, they did it in plates. So they did it, um, they'd film one person, a bit like how they did the parent trap. Oh. Um, <laughs> <All right. laughs> I mean, they could have used it to make someone their own twin for a while. If you're going to yeah. do it that they way, well. then, yeah. You know. yeah. They could have done, like, is it Eddie Murphy in that movie? Nutty Professor 2 The Clumps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everything. <laughs> or in Kind Hearts and Coronets would probably oh, be a better yes. version. Yeah. Everyone's Phil Mitchell. Yeah. Phil Mitchell. They should have had a completely Phil Mitchell episode of EastEnders <laughs> where he played all the roles. Yeah. That would be good. I, I haven't really good. explained the fact, have I? No, sorry. The no, I should, very, very quickly. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, they... Um, in in February 2020, uh, one character called Sharon Mitchell um, decided to tell a the, story. Sorry, the tentativeness with which you said one of the seminal EastEnders characters' names. Is that there. sorry? She's oh, one of the no. five biggest characters in it. <laughs> Sharon! The star. I'm so Letitia sorry. Dean. I mean, she's a brilliant Oh, actor. is it? Yeah, uh, Well, Dean's by my accent, you could probably tell I'm a Coronation Street guy. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so Sharon Mitchell talked about Mr. and Mrs. Bagstock, who were the original landlord and landlady of the Queen Vic. Uh, and apparently back in the 1860s when the fictional Queen Vic was first built, <laughs> um, these, this landlord killed his landlady by drowning her in the bath. Uh, and maybe wow. that's why they've had so much bad luck in Albert it's Square haunted. since then. It's a haunted <laughs> pub, effectively. Yeah, I tried to see if there was a such person as Mr. Bagstock. Uh, in London uh, but Bagstock doesn't appear to even be a name <laughs> I think it's in Dombey and Sons but I think it's just a made up Dickens I... name God, that's quite a, that's a nice literary pedigree though for yeah. this random bit of Queen Vic trivia yeah. that's great um, so one thing that, they, that EastEnders has in common uh, with William Wordsworth oh yeah they can't smell they can't <laughs> smell. Was, uh, nobody every, can smell yeah pro death penalty yeah. <laughs> um, they uh, daffodils Oh, so there are some daffodils in Albert Square, God. but Wordsworth wouldn't have been able to smell these ones for a very good reason, which is that they're fake. Oh, and the really? reason that they're fake daffodils, I'm probably good filming reasons for that, but also they film. Is it about six weeks in advance? You film yeah, the episodes yeah. about six weeks later, so they they make it look of like course. springs, even though uh, it's still winter, uh-huh, uh-huh. right? So yeah, that's so that's their way of doing it. It's basically a time portal, yeah. and then at the other end of the year. They obviously they have to shave the trees. <laughs> no, that's I'm joking. That's that's not real. Because I was thinking the very first lines of the first episode of EastEnders was Dirty Den walks in and he goes stinks in here. Oh yeah. So it might have been stinks of wee in here from all those <laughs> daffodils. They're definitely real. <laughs> Dirty daff. Well, um, didn't he get killed by someone was holding a bunch of flowers? Oh, did it yes. the first time? He wasn't actually dead. Yeah. But yes. someone was he holding a bunch of daffodils and they shot them. Yeah. Shot yeah. Him through it, so God, what I love it! It's all tying together. My God, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's David Lynch, isn't it? It's <laughs> We've broken EastEnders wide open. <laughs> 
Um, so the person behind EastEnders was Julia, a woman called Julia Smith, mm. who when she was advertising for jobs said only EastEnders need apply. So it was all real people from the East End of London at first who were mm. on it. And they weren't actually calling it EastEnders at the time. They were calling it East 8. And she wrote that they called it East 8, referred to it as East 8 when they were working on the show before it came out. And then she realised a bunch of her friends were saying, what's this estate programme you've got? When's yeah. that coming out? And no. it's just, it's the word estate. But it could have been called, other working titles, Square Dance. Yeah. Or Round the Houses, which isn't that another show? That's quite a good title. Round the Houses. It sounds like a much more huggable... I think there are fewer murders in Round the Houses. Yeah, yeah that's the lovable right, right. 70s yeah, sitcom, isn't yeah. it? That's yeah. The, that's yeah. the Terry and June style. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Reg Cox is fine. He was just pretending <laughs> it's to... It's a prank. <laughs> um, on the subject of the script security... Because you know it's set in Walford, right? So this was the fictional place they've created. Mm-hmm. So when my husband was in EastEnders a few years ago, and the uh, it was Christmas Day episode, which again, you know, they don't want anything to get out about the Christmas Day episode. So they have this ridiculous procedure where they send you a script, but they won't send the password to unlock that script to the same email that they've sent the script to, because okay. obviously that might get hacked. So what they do then is they phone you, and then they give you another special code, which sort of unlocks something else. Anyway. It's it's like a seven stage you'd be easier to get the nuclear codes <laughs> than to get into an EastEnders script but what really made me laugh when my husband did it was that they went through all of this and he was he had to be by the phone at a certain time take the phone call and he answered the phone went uh-huh uh-huh and then started typing it in and the password was Walford which was <laughs> <laughs> and then since I did it recently and they have changed it because so I told everyone I knew about That's that but the A was a four wasn't it so no one knew <laughs> yeah impenetrable uh, levels wow Walford probably named after Walford Road which is in Dalston uh, because one of the other co-creator with um, Julia Smith Julia Smith was Tony Holland mm-hmm. uh, and he lived in Dalston or nearby and he probably saw Walford Road and gave it that name uh, he based Albert Square on a place called Facet Square in Dalston um, which I went to yesterday had a cycle round oh, uh, very yeah. nice and the nearest pub to Facet Square is called the Victoria which I'm fairly certain must be where he got the idea for the Queen Vic name, at least, um, mm. because it's got its license in 1848, so it's a very, very old pub. Anyway, I went there last night, and <laughs> you murdered someone. <laughs> I was hoping... You discovered you were your own father, and <laughs> the whole place burned down. I was so hoping for that kind of thing, but basically, it's the hipsteriest place you can possibly imagine. <laughs> Instead of like light fixtures, it has upside down plant pots with trees coming out of it and it sells four different types of kombucha. But that's it's really so you know, that's I had a nice primary research. Pint yeah. of IPA and, and read my book. Dot com but, wouldn't have approved of all of this, would you? I mean everybody does complain about the fact that EastEnders is now set in an area of London where nobody who's in it could afford to live. Yeah. You know, it would all be merchant bankers and, and hedge fund managers. Or podcasters. <laughs> <laughs> Your podcast is doing well. Trust me, not most podcasters. But yeah, the um, but Ofcom. I was reading all the Ofcom complaints about EastEnders, and uh, one complaint was people saying that uh, people spend too much time in the cafe. Someone had calculated how much the characters would spend if they were buying the amount of drinks and snacks. Because of course they're always eating and drinking. Yeah, but have you seen how many times Peggy Mitchell said it's on the ass? It's on the ass. That's uh, true. That's, that's hard. 
gone under, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Very good point. They're almost Dave. all free drinks. Um, I was reading some of the other complaints, actually. Um, <laughs> and there was one saying that people were throwing the cigarette butts on the ground. And if they did that, why did they not get a fixed penalty notice for doing it? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you can be yeah you can be having an affair with your brother's sister's <laughs> cat but, yeah. <laughs> but the unrealistic thing yeah. is yeah. Yeah. Um, something else realistic is um, Barbara Windsor's life I always felt that her life was oh, quite yeah. true to the what seems like a very unrealistic EastEnders life so she was she was quite in the gang world really yeah in the 70s 80s Mm -hmm. she went out with ronnie cray hold on who was the not mad one she went out with reggie cray ronnie was the really mad one wasn't he i I mean it's like it's like the williams sisters they're both good at tennis (laughs) Uh. (laughs) she went out with the equivalent of venus williams i suppose in cray brothers uh (laughs) um and she was married She was married to another guy called Ronnie Knight, who was another gangster. He's really the Venus Williams of the underworld. Is that what we're saying? That's amazing. He'd have been so flattered. I think they'd both be flattered by that. Incredible. And now, ladies and gentlemen, please give your applause to the Ronnie Cray of tennis. So she married a Ronnie, Ronnie yep. Knight, um, who was another kind of gangster. And Ronnie Knight's brother, I ended up reading his Wikipedia page, basically. His brother, his brother's killer and the man who killed his brother's killer were all murdered. That's a, tra- that's a trail of four murders. S- sorry, so, so, sorry. So Ronnie Knight, Barbara Windsor's husband, was, um, his brother was murdered. Okay. And then his brother's killer was murdered. And then his brother's killer's killer was murdered. Thank you. It's an endless trail of murder. And I'm still picturing it in the world of tennis, and it's becoming. Yeah, like, I mean, in the world of gangsters, it's not as implausible. This is we're still in the group stages. Yeah, and, it's yeah exactly. So. And did did Barbara Windsor kill all of those? <laughs> Turns out, yes. Wow. Well, actually, her husband Ronnie Knight probably did kill his brother's killer because he admitted to it in his okay. autobiography later. Wow. But he'd already been tried for it and exonerated. So under double jeopardy, they couldn't get him. In wow. your face. Well, there, there is a thing about... So, Lucy, you said about um, uh, the murder stats yeah. are way higher in EastEnders. I think... It, so, in EastEnders, it's about 100... You're about 100 times as likely to be murdered in EastEnders as you are in Britain. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is good... There's a concomitant bit of good news, which is that um, residents of Walford are much more romantically faithful than real people. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. And so both of these things are only good news and bad news if you live in the world of EastEnders, they not are. in the real world. Yeah, it's bad news for all of us. Except <laughs> me. Yeah, so yeah. I just need to move yeah. in full time. So on the show, it's a, it's a tiny percentage. 2% of female and 1.7% of male characters have an affair each year. Is that right? I always yeah. thought they were all having affairs in EastEnders. Me too. I would have thought... So this is a study from 2003, so maybe they've sexed it up since then. Um, but that's way lower than the stats from 2003 for men and women in the UK having affairs. Also, this was the other finding, the men of Albert Square are also less likely to visit a prostitute. Just, <laughs> that's good. Just 0.18% of them are, really? um, are knocking on that door. Good on them. Yeah. Well, again, you see, I should, I should be suggesting this to the storyliners. I should say I could, I mean, become a sex worker, yeah. make the show more realistic. <laughs> I could be the man trap of Wolfie. <laughs> Thank you.
Okay, that's it. That's all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to get in touch with any of us about the things that we've said on the course of this show, we can all be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Andrew Hunter M. James. At James Harkin. Lucy. Lucy Porter Comic. And Anna. You can email podcast at qi.com. Or you can go to our group account, which is at no such thing. If you want to go to our website, which is no such thing as a fish.com, we have all of our previous episodes there and lots of merch, live shows. We're coming to Scotland and Wales quite soon. There's all sorts of other stuff there. Uh, so go and check it out if you like. And you should also check out Lucy's podcast. It's Fingers on Buzzers. She hosts it with previous fish guest Jenny Ryan. So you're getting two fish graduates <laughs> for the price of none <laughs> fingers on buzzers check it out wherever you get your podcasts from and we'll be back again next week with another episode of the podcast we'll see you then goodbye <laughs>